Good afternoon and welcome to the Becker's Health IT and Revenue Cycle Management virtual event. We're so excited for you to join us for today for today's panel, how to do big tech partnerships the right way. Tips, tricks and lessons learned. I'm Alan Condon with Becker's Healthcare and I'll be your moderator for today's panel. This session is being recorded and will be available on demand following today's event. We'll send you instructions on how to access the recordings once today's event concludes. At this time, it is now my pleasure to kick off today's panel by introducing our presenters. Speaking today are Mitch Parker, Chief Information Security Officer at Indiana University Health, Gary Fritz, Vice President, Chief of Applications and Technology and Digital Solutions at Stanford Healthcare and School of Medicine, and Dr. Nick Patel, Prisma Health, a USC Medical Group, Vice Chair for Innovation and Clinical Affairs. Let me first say it's a real pleasure having you all join us today. So thank you so much for, for making the time to be here. Great to be here. Okay, well, without further ado, we're, we're going to kick things off and dive into the first question. And um, Mitch, if it's okay with you, I'll direct uh, the first question right, right your way. Um, what for you is the biggest healthcare challenge, is the biggest challenge healthcare organizations face when working with big tech companies? And how can this challenge be mitigated? I think the biggest challenge is in just structuring the relationship and making sure that all expectations are met. What we've encountered over the past year has been that a complete change in how we have a relationship. We need items more just in time. We need a more structured relationship around security and operational management. And it takes a lot of work to build agreements where you cover operational management, you cover security, and you cover making sure we get the items we need on time. And more importantly than that, how we can govern all of that accordingly and make sure that we don't have items fall between the cracks. So I think just, it's an elephant and we've got to approach structuring around the elephant the right way. Structuring the relationship, what I'm here, structuring the relationship and making sure that all the needs are met. Uh, uh, Nick, how about you? Are you seeing the same thing? What is the biggest challenge in this area? Yeah, just to build upon what uh, Mitch said, you know, I think it's very important uh, to look past a transactional partnership uh, with your vendors and your technology partners. Uh, as Chief Digital Officer here, one of the biggest things I try to do is build that digital health uh, strategy. And, and you start looking at different tools via video for telehealth or automation, uh, remote patient monitoring, whatever company you choose, you want to make sure that you have, uh, you know, your roadmap internally as a system. Where do you want to be as an organization? What problem are you trying to solve? Is always, you know, a lot, I, I find that a lot of pitfalls uh, organizations and leaders fall into is starting the, with the tech first and then trying to squeeze the problem and solve that versus trying to find a, you know, try to fix a problem that you already have. And, and that's one of the biggest things that we've done is set up partnerships in between some of these other vendors. So how does a remote patient monitoring company work with automation? How does automation then work with a video telehealth company, right? And let them figure that out and then bring that to you uh, as an organization and integrate it within your core assets, such as UEH or other systems that you have. And, and what you find is a lot of these technology companies that we're dealing with, especially during COVID with telehealth and automation, these are usually series B, series uh, C sort of startup companies, right? They're established companies uh, and they have very good big clients, 
but they haven't started thinking about how they can work with others. I and mean, if we're trying to reach a uh, digital continuum of services, you know, we don't want to have siloed solutions and then we have to internally connect them. It would be great if we can try to get them to partner with each other uh, so that it helps the health system and actually helps the vendors too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's some great insights there from, from Nick and Mitch. And then Gary, of course, let's look, look at your insight here as well in terms of biggest challenges working with these big tech companies and mi- the mitigation of these challenges. Yeah, you bet. So uh, Nick and, and Mitch are spot on. Thinking about how uh, your patients will interact with your technology or your um, your health system is crucial. And, and a fragmented experience is a problem or can be a problem. So so thinking about big tech, um, really thinking about all technology um, from the, the, the view of the patient is absolutely critical. Uh, but other things we might not have touched on, um, on yet, um, data ownership and, uh, and data sharing becomes a really important discussion when you're talking to, to tech firms and particularly big tech firms. Um, uh, you know, protecting the privacy of your, of your patients and protecting your, your data is absolutely critical. So, so really starting from uh, from the beginning with the big with the relationships you're going to have with the with these tech firms is, is absolutely crucial. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add, Alan, is that as you scope this out, really try to embed as much of that into your scope of work and your MSA agreements and so that you're kind of already got, even if you're not going to implement it in phase one, but you're already set up for phase two, three, four down the road and, you know, you have it all encompassed in your proposal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I cannot agree more, especially with data ownership and with intelligent systems, because you have to make sure you own that data and you know how it's being used because we don't want to have any issues that lead to patient issues because of misuse of data. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for sharing your insight there. I think that was a great first question to kick things off. And uh, I'm going to go to you for this next question because it's something that you touched on a little bit in your first response there. We have seen healthcare facilities make the shift to telemedicine, remote patient monitoring, as you said, and also contactless payment systems. What do you see as, as the next big advancement in healthcare technology? Yeah, I, I, you know, I got off fresh off the heels of uh, artificial intelligence in medicine call yesterday. And I think automation and ro- robotic process automation are going to be two big ones. You start to think about all the digital assets such as video telehealth or you look at remote patient monitoring. Um, you know, it, you're gathering so much data, right? And, in, and if you're starting to really look into where the mecca of real population health management and you're having... Um, patients with wearables and uh, you need to be able to understand if someone meets a certain clinical threshold, how do you get alerted? And there's always a large signal to noise ratio. How do you carve out what really matters, right? And from the noise. And this is where we're thinking about putting our chatbot in. So now we, if you're in a hypertension program and you have a blood pressure cuff at home and a weight scale, well, if your blood pressure, let's just say, is over 160, over 90 consecutively multiple times, then someone's going to get pinged. Well, the first person that gets pinged is the automated chatbot who's using evidence-based medicine uh, to ask you the appropriate questions. Hey, Mr. Smith, are you taking your blood pressure medicine? I notice your last three blood pressure readings are high. And you go through that basic triaging that any nurse or provider would do because you're not going to just start a new medicine because they might have ran out of their medicine. They might have not, they might have missed a couple doses. Maybe that medication you gave them was too expensive and they, they didn't pick it up. 
And so having something in the middle to automate that and it be, uh, you know, learning from those interactions and then escalating that to a human is, is going to be very important. You know, it's kind of, I love the, the comment that Anthony Chang made yesterday. He talked about, you got to take the robot out of the human because as, as a physician myself, I do a lot of stuff that's just redundant over and over again. Click this, click that, and just that's how you do it, right? We've become a little bit more of a glorified data entry people. Uh, versus being true healthcare uh, folks. And uh, what we really want to do is how do we take some of those processes out and use RPA, a robotic process automation, to, to remove and improve efficiency, but also how do you uh, take all that data that Gary and Mitch and everyone else is talking about uh, and, and be able to codify that and understand what matters and what doesn't matter and how do you automate that interaction with the patient? Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much. That's a super interesting response. Take the robot out of the human. I love that quote. Uh, I love to hear your response on this. What do you see making waves in the industry in terms of healthcare? Technology? Yeah, it's a good question. I, yeah, it's a good question. Sorry sorry to step on you there. The, uh, I guess I have two thoughts on it. Uh, the first one is, um, you know, you talked a little bit about telemedicine, remote patient monitoring, contactless systems. I think there's uh, an awful lot of work to do uh, in those areas still. So we you know, quite a few uh, of the, um, you know, ambulatory uh, operations in the U.S. went from in-person to virtual during COVID, a huge, huge impact. In, in, our, in our case, it went from 5% virtual visits to close to 100% virtual visits in, in a couple of weeks. So we shifted ambulatory. But, but beyond that, uh, specialist consults, um, you know, extending specialists into patient rooms so they don't have to go into the into the into the hospital rooms and, and conserve PPE. You know there are things like that that are you're going to will be able to leverage uh, telemedicine infrastructure to do that that's still important and, and still out there. Um, remote patient monitoring is another extension and, and Nick was spot on with that. Um, RPA robotic process automation and, and AI I think are are really important as well. We we are doing some robotic process automation RPA for for uh, some of our legacy system applications and, and, and situations, which is where a lot of people are, are doing it. But the, the real value is, is figuring out how you're going to um, um, redesign, either redesign processes from the ground up or, or build an RPA solution that, that is flexible enough to, to change as your systems and processes change. And that's where AI comes in. We're, we're just starting to work with, with some, um, some Silicon Valley um, companies that are, that are looking at AI in, in RPA, in the revenue cycle. And that's a really, I think, um, fertile area to, to look at. So, yeah, and then just, just to round out that thought, if I can, the, the, from an, another AI perspective, there's, there's no question there's, there's clinical, um, there are clinical opportunities in AI. Um, we're, we're fortunate, I'm fortunate in that we have, a, Stanford has a, a center for AI and imaging um, and, and quite a few researchers in this space. And we're working with them, you know, directly to, to look at pre-reading of films, um, looking at, at producing higher quality um, images with low dose um, contrast agents, things like that, that are going to make a difference in, in the imaging and the radiology space. So, so AI directly in the clinical, in clinical care and then supporting the revenue cycle um, uh, through RPA will be very important coming for, going forward. Mm -hmm. So touched on quite a lot there. Obviously, we, we touched on AI, RPA, patient monitoring. I'd love to hear you kind of your thoughts on this space as well. What do you see coming downstream? Absolutely. So 
we look at this as tying it all together. I look at the evolution of the hospital command center as being critically important because what's happening is we are seeing a shift of patients from outside, inside the hospital to outside and communications over standard, standard connections. So there's a lot more now that we have to monitor and a lot more parameters such as security being number one, but also what happens when a remote monitoring device goes wrong? What happens when it goes offline? It requires you to have partnerships, not only with yourself, but with other institutions, but also to be able to go through all of that torrential amount of data, you need to have AI, RPA, machine learning on your back end, going through all your monitoring data, presenting it in a view that somebody sitting in a command center can go, I have an alert, be able to effectively communicate with someone sitting maybe two seats over and come up with a plan. And if anything that we learned over the past couple of days tells us anything, and I'm going to specifically cite the Microsoft Azure outage and also the CenturyLink outage that happened with 911, it's that we are basing telemedicine and remote networking off of our telecommunications network, and we have to have a plan for when these systems fail and make sure we have good partnerships in place and be well organized to deal with it. So yes, a good partnership to help build a good command center and more importantly, understand what goes on there and use a lot of these ancillary technologies we're all talking about here to help build those views that we need is absolutely critical because healthcare is going to significantly evolve even more than it has. We gave it a five-year kickstart this year and it's going to evolve into a lot more remote monitoring and we have to be able to do it effectively and do it at scale. Yeah, and I'll just add one more thing, you know, uh, that sparked the thought, Mitch, is that secure texting and communication is very important. We found that during COVID, because COVID is pretty standardized on what your protocols need to be and what we need, how everyone needs to ask the same questions and how you need to guide them to the right place. And uh, secure texting was very important. It was also very important from a patient uh, and family relations standpoint, right? As COVID started, we, we didn't let family members come in. So then we started setting up devices so they can have secure connection with their family, either through video or text that they can stay in touch with them. And so to Mitch's point, security is gonna be a huge amount because if you think about all the different components, that's also a component where you can have a vulnerability to get in. Uh, and uh, so you have to be really careful with that. And, and that's the ultimate um, scare that I think most providers have is when you put, give someone a remote patient monitoring tool, you are now responsible for that data. You know, you, you know, you just can't say, here's your remote patient monitoring and your blood pressure is 250 over 100 and I'm not gonna do anything about it. You have to understand when you pay attention to something and when you don't, and you just can't, uh, you have to have the data flow seamlessly. So to, again, to Mitch's point, redundancy is extremely important. You can't, you can't have a system go down when you have thousands and hundreds of thousands in, in, in some organizations under a RPA, I mean, an RPM program, you have to have redundancies in place so you don't lose that connection with that patient. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for all your insights there. Super interesting so far. And um, I want to shift, shift gears a little bit. We've obviously talked about these innovative technologies. And I want to talk about kind of the impact on the health system and the implementation of these technologies. Um, so Gary, we're going to go to you with this question. Um, how can health systems ensure that these new technologies are being implemented successfully and maximize that clinician engagement? 
Yeah, that's a great question. That is that is a, in, an incredibly important um, topic for us. The physician burnout is is very real. Um, I would defer to Nick, our, our physician on the panel, to to speak more on that. But but uh, it is it is something that we have to address. Part of the part of the issue is is the intense need to document to interact with the electronic health record, among other technologies. Um, and as you introduce new technologies, you may actually be be losing ground rather than rather than gaining ground. So you have to be very thoughtful about about the technologies that you have and the new technologies you want to implement to to make it easier to be a clinician. Um, but it's also uh, important to be to make it easier to be a patient and to do the support work uh, to to allow the the doctor patient relationship to happen. So so we measure that. Um, uh, pretty carefully, and, and there isn't, we don't have a silver bullet yet, but we look at physician time in chart, we look at clicks, we talk to a lot of doctors about, about their experience, and we're working hard to, to optimize that. But, but, um, but it's absolutely crucial that, that clinicians um, feel fulfilled in their, uh, you know, in their, in their role. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with uh, uh, with Gary. You know, don't start with te the technology. Start with a deep understanding of the problem you're trying to solve. It has to be patient-centered and provider-driven, and and that's extremely important. You know, one of the top three reasons for burnout for physicians is DHR. And the last thing you want to do is add layers and layers of different technology that is disjointed, disconnected, multiple logins, multiple places to document, all these different things. And, you know, it's, it's been a challenge as you try to develop a digital health strategy for a large organization, you have to keep that in mind. Because, uh, you know, I've lived through the, the first EHR, the second EHR, the third EHR. I've gone through multiple PTSDs through that, uh, like many, mo most doctors have, right? Uh, and, and this is our opportunity to say, okay, how can we do this better? How do we make digital health better? How do we make telehealth fun to use and easy to use um, and so that we make it seamless. So like, for example, for our uh, RPM, we're integrating that into our EHR. So if you're sitting in front of a hypertension patient, to use the previous example given, um, I can just click, okay, based on your blood pressures, Mr. Smith, I'm gonna enroll you into an RPM program. I'm gonna click one button to send through our supply chain vendor a kitted device to your house. In that device is everything's connected, plus you'll have someone that's going to teach you how to use it, and if you have any technical issues, that's who you're going to uh, who's going to contact you, as well as hey, I'm going to enroll you into a chatbot at the same time under the same hypertension program, and so now I've just kind of enrolled them in then, and then that data is flowing into the flow sheet within the EHR. We set it up as a separate flow sheet from those vitals taking uh, in the office versus those coming in from uh, our uh, RPM. And so now you're getting all that information in one place. You can also start a video visit right from the EHR. Or if you're on call and you just happen to have a device in your hand and you want to do a video visit, it's already integrated and you could do a telehealth visit from it. So it's just that seamlessness that I think you have to start with. Um, when you design these systems. And again, I think having physicians uh, as part of your steering group and understanding what their needs are as part of the design, as well as ITS at the table. Um, I think that I, I, I would say the biggest thing I've seen during COVID that I've been very pleasantly happy to see is that physicians and technologists and IT folks are working so much closer together. Uh, you know, as part of my role, like I said, 
chief digital officer really sandwiched between a CMIO who deals with informatics and, and EHR and a CIO who deals with IT and IT infrastructure and everything required there. But someone needs to be focused on what's the patient's needs and how do you provide frictionless care to patients, but also how do you make sure that you don't burn out providers in the interim, right? Because as you know, when you, through history, when you deploy any new technology, you may see a dip in your efficiency and productivity. And we're not trying to do that with these new tools. Well, from what I'm hearing, I'm not the expert here, but from what I'm hearing, it's uh, for the seamless integration of these technologies, it's got to be number one, patient-centered patient, patient -centered and provider-driven. And uh, Mitch, uh, from you, best practices from your experience in terms of the implementation of these technologies, anything you'd like to add here? It starts with leadership. And the way I put it is, is you have to be continual and intentional how you deal with the leadership of your organization and setting the expectations that we all talked about here right at the start and making sure that you solve definite problems instead of saying this is a nice to have. This is something a lot of tech companies just haven't gotten. What problems are you solving? How are you making it easier for a physician? And do you have CMIOs in your organization that are capable or physicians that are technology leaders capable of articulating and translating between the clinical world and the technology world? My experience has been when you have good, strong technology leaders in place that are also physicians, it makes your job a lot easier because you focus on what's important with implementing the technology and you cut out the waste there and you focus on the customer's needs. And a lot of times it's not about nice to haves. You can walk into a meeting with your medical groups and you can show them all the nice to haves, but it doesn't matter because they're focused on what's the workflow to get the job done. And I also always cite back to ECRI Institute and their work on alarm fatigue. How do I get this job done and make sure the clinicians, the nurses, the doctors, practitioners do not suffer alarm fatigue trying to do their job because that's the worst possible thing that a work that a bad workflow is excessive alarms. Mm -hmm. It was just really great discussion. I'm really glad we got to squeeze that question in there. And uh, Mitch, I'm going to stick with you for this last question, uh, which is a pretty interesting one. I want to nice to finish on. Obviously, we've seen the these big tech giants such as Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google expanding into the healthcare space. Who do you see as the biggest disruptor? I would actually say, and I'm going to give a pretty surprising answer to this, which is actually Amazon. And the reason I say Amazon is because I've noticed a trend over the past several years with a lot of on-premises applications migrating to their cloud services. And they've provided a pretty consistent experience where a lot of what used to be regular desktop applications have moved up to their cloud. And a lot of the larger medical, larger providers such as Cerner are using them now as well. So they provided a pretty good and consistent experience. I've seen a lot of good analytics solutions based on them. I would say Microsoft as well in the analytics space with all the work they've done on Azure, but I would say that the single greatest factor that's taken data from inside that data center and put it up in the cloud has been the ease in which Amazon has facilitated that. Five years ago, I would have told you 80% of my data was, my organization's data was sitting in a data center. 
and today it's going to be less than 20 percent and what we're talking about now is there's it's gone from inside that data center to federated cloud and i've just seen a incredible trend with that and while apple's done some pretty incredible work with apple health and empowering patients to have data on their phones the back ends for the majority of the applications are going to they're going to be powering the powering our compliance with the cures act and where those fire apis are going to be sitting more than likely is going to be sitting in aws Absolutely. Thank you so much. And then, Gary, how about you? I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. The biggest disruptor, disruptor to the healthcare space. Obviously, Mitch is going with Amazon here. What do you think? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I think you can make a case for all four. Um, I really do. I mean, Amazon um, has, has um, sort of won the day on, um, on the supply chain. You know, they really revolutionized the supply chain. And there's an awful lot of money to be taken out of the out of the healthcare system just by fixing that part of it. Um, you know, Apple, Microsoft, and Google all have platforms um, that that help the patient connection, that support the infrastructure. So I think you could make a case. And they're all big employers. Um, combined, there are about 1.5 or 1.6 million employers there. So they're a they're a health provider. But what I would say, um, my my answer on this is the biggest disruptor in healthcare is is probably the federal government. I mean, they're the they're the market maker, HHS and CMS. And uh, although we haven't talked about it yet, the, the 21st Century Cures Act is, is coming very fast for us. Um, the first uh, deadline is next month, it's early November. And it's gonna change the way we share information inside healthcare and with patients. Over the next 24 months, um, the, the requirement, the federal requirement will be all data needs to be shared uh, with the patient unless uh, technologically unpractical. What that means from a, from a from a healthcare provider perspective is these big tech companies uh, will be providing um, the connectivity to, uh, to the patient, to each other. They could be providing, um, you know, with cloud services and storage, the platforms. And, and that will, that uh, Cures Act, if it uh, proceeds as it's expected, um, will really change uh, a lot of how healthcare information is shared and, and all four of these, these players have a, have a really significant role to play in that area. So that's, that's my thought. Okay, a couple of really interesting responses, both from Mitch and Gary, and I'm sure we'll have an interesting response from Nick as well. Let's uh, hand it over to you for this final question. Yeah, I, I, I like this question. Uh, you know, I look at it in two different ways. Uh, disruption from, uh, if you look, if you ask a healthcare CFO or CEO, what's the biggest disruption? They're going to look at this list and, and say, who's going to take my patients away? Who's going to take business away from me, right? And I think the one that surfaces atop, as Mitch said also, but for a different reason, I would say, is Amazon for that. And here's why. So you have Amazon, as Gary mentioned, supply chain. Obviously, they have a great retail experience. They also bring costs down, right? Sound familiar? That's triple aim, right? They have great quality. They also have partnered with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan, the finance side, RevCycle. Uh, so if you think about it, if they really, and, and as Gary said, they have 1.5 million lives. So they could do a lot. They could, they own PillPack, they could send you medications, they could set up a network of providers on demand, on tap, when you need to see them. They can send you remote patient monitoring tools directly from their supply chain, right, to your house. 
that data flows back to them. But they're also an AWS, right, data warehouse. They can collect that data, right? So when you start thinking about all the pieces, what Amazon is doing, what they have, they have all the pieces to digitize healthcare. Uh, so I, 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 and I gave a speech to Blue Cross Blue Shield in Alabama about a year ago to statewide primary care providers, and I called the title Amazonification of Healthcare. And to that me, to, to me, that means improve access, low cost of care, and frictionless care. That's what it means to me. And, but all of these, Apple, obviously, what do we think about Apple? It just works. Easy workflow, right? It never fails you. Microsoft, back-end systems, Azure, data, et cetera, right? Google, huge piece of healthcare, but they are on the periphery. They're, they're using AI. They're, they're about to introduce uh, Big Bird, which is their NLP that's even better than uh, GPT-3. Uh, and so it's gonna be pretty big. And they already have technologies that can actually take a CT scan and read it in seconds and give you a pretty accurate diagnosis. Uh, so, and as you may already know, until we talked about telehealth earlier, Google took a major stake, a hundred million dollar stake in Amwell, uh, and they own 23% of the company. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a pretty significant, uh, I think all of them uh, are playing uh, in the field. So for me, I'm excited. I think all of them are going to make healthcare better, uh, you know, and I think it's important that we think of them as disruptors and potentially taking business away because healthcare systems need to modernize. Uh, and they haven't in a while. And sometimes you need a big kick in the butt to make that happen. And that's, that's, that's why I'm glad these, these companies are around and doing what they're doing. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, really, I'm uh, really glad we snuck that question in there. Some fantastic responses from each of you. Um, uh, before we close out, I'd love to give our presenters one final opportunity to share any final thoughts. Uh, Nick, let's stick with you for this one. What is your 30-second takeaway that you'd like to leave our, our audience members with from today's panel? No, it's, and number one, Alan, thank you and Beckers for having me. Uh, it's always great to be on these webinars with you and, and, and Mitch and Garrett, great to be on here with you also. Um, I would say, you know, if there's a silver lining with COVID that, well, I'm hoping that we end up with a modern day healthcare system. Uh, we've seen, I've seen a transition from paper when I first finished residency all the way to where we are now. And I've learned through that journey and I, I would just implore everyone to think about what the patient care needs are what the provider's needs are when you design these systems. There's a lot of great um, technology that's out there right now. And uh, we have to, but, you know, putting too much technology all at once is not going to get you where you want to be. And you have to think about really strategizing what is the need and picking that uh, technology and opening that tap slowly um, and, and, and making sure they're connected. You don't want to get away, you want to get away from the siloed, sort of solutions and, and, and partnerships we've had in the past to something more uh, retail experience that is seamless and patient focused and really uh, using digital transformation to transform how we provide care to our patients. So I would just implore everyone to do that. Put yourself in, in a patient's shoe and uh, you know, one thing that's absolute in life, one of, one of these days, all of us will be patients. So how would you like care delivered to you? Awesome. So the digital transformation of healthcare and really kind of honing in on the niche. And then how about you, Mitch? What is your 30-second takeaway you'd like to leave our, our audience members with today? We need to really think through all the solutions that we have given the increased complexity of our environment and make sure that when we implement solutions, we 
across the board, we work with our leadership and that we put solutions in place that solve problems and do so without unnecessarily burdening the organization or getting us away from the nature of what we're all here to do and who we're here to serve. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, so working with leadership and making sure we're all about problem solving. And finally, Gary, I'd love to get your three-second takeaway from today's panel as well. Sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you uh, for um, for inviting me. And it's really, it was a really interesting panel uh, discussion. So I guess my closing thought on this is, is um, uh, there are, health, healthcare has a lot of challenges. There are a lot of opportunities to deliver better care um, um, faster and at a much lower cost. Um, I don't think big tech will solve that problem. I don't think any one company or one solution will, will, will um, you know, will be a silver bullet for us. Uh, what we need is to work together um, to understand what the patient needs, that the patient engaged in, in, their, in their, um, their care process, their clinic process. We need to uh, empower and enable clinicians and support staff um, uh, throughout the value chain. Um, and it's, it's extremely important that we do this. Technology can be leveraged, but the same um, good business and technology decisions that we have, are making now, we will be making in the future. Um, and big tech will be part of the solution, um, but we need to figure out how to engage um, uh, them appropriately so we can deliver great value. Absolutely. And that's all we've got time for today. I really want to thank each of you again, Nick, Gary, and Mitch for a fantastic presentation and sharing your time today. Uh, and, and to our attendees who joined us, thank you for taking the time to be a part of our Becker's Health IT and Revenue Cycle Management virtual event. We look forward to seeing your future Becker's events. Thank you. Thank you.